You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, Carlisle. The great theologian Augustine of Hippo once said that in the Old Testament, the new is concealed. In the new, the old is revealed. When we think of the messianic prophecies from this perspective, we see that the Old Testament whispers to us about the coming of the Messiah. Join us during our Advent sermon series titled Rumors of the Messiah, where we confirm the whispered prophecies of the Old Testament that told of the birth, suffering, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh, good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It is indeed with great joy and uh, with much pleasure I greet you this glorious morning. Welcome you to the best church in the city of Louisville, Sojourn Church Carlisle. My name is James Fields. I'm the lead pastor here of this church. And this morning, we'll continue in our Advent series, talking about the rumors of Jesus, looking at a familiar passage of Scripture found in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. You know, the word Advent is a Latin word that means coming or arrival. And as we embark upon the Advent season, there are many songs that enliven my own heart to the reality of Jesus coming or arrival to earth. You might know some of these songs. Um, Oh, Holy Night is a a wonderful song that speaks of that reality. Silent Night. Um, Oh, come, all ye faithful. But there's one song that's my all-time favorite, and we actually just sang it not too long ago. Hark the herald angels sing. Do you recall the verses within that song? It starts off saying, hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Listen to the fourth stanza. It says, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. In today's passage, we're going to explore the birth of Jesus, and together we're going to discover how our God loves to take impossible situations and transform them into possibilities. Would you pray with me? Father, we do love you and thank you. We thank you for this Advent season, this season of waiting, arrival, God, we ask that you would be with us in our waiting and our longing. There's so many things that we are longing for, God. But most of all, God, we long for your second coming. We pray, God, that you would come and draw near um, through the power of your, your people, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, through the presence of your church, and even through the second coming of seeing you cracking the sky and coming to be with your people to rescue us. We anticipate that day, but until that time, we wait Be with us in our waiting, God. I pray that you would help us and give hope to our people this morning to see that you are a God who takes the impossible things and make possibilities out of them. Be with me now. Hide me behind your cross. I pray, God, that some mind would be transformed and some soul be saved for the advancement of your kingdom. As always, Jesus, take the little I have and make much of it. In your name we pray. Amen. So as mentioned in our passage today, we see five impossibilities of the birth of Christ. 
Five impossibilities. Look with me at verses 26 and 27 to witness the first impossibility of the birth of Christ. In verses 26 and 27, it reads, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Notice with me the appearance of an angel. And not just any angel, this is the angel Gabriel. And the name Gabriel means the Lord is my hero. I love this because Gabriel is sent from the presence of his hero, that being God, to bring God's word to his people. Gabriel always appears for a specific purpose. Gabriel is a special messenger of God that we know that anytime within the scriptures, anytime that Gabriel appears, he always brings an important message from God. Much like at the beginning of time, when God intentionally speaks into the silence, he intentionally speaks into the disarray, and he intentionally speaks into the disorder of the, of the, non, of the chaotic world of Genesis 1, so too does God now speak again by sending his messenger as the sent one. Gabriel is an angel or a sent one. He's a messenger who was sent to speak on behalf of God and to declare God's word and to declare God's purposes. Now, before we go any further about Gabriel and why this is a first impossibility, we have to remember the context in which this message was sent. God had been silent for the past 400 years. Theologians call this the intertestamental period. It is a period that extends between the Old Testament and the New Testament where God has purposely been silent before his people. And in the midst of that silence, in the midst of that despair, God then speaks by sending Gabriel. It's a good reminder for us that whenever God speaks to someone or whenever he sends someone to speak his words, it implies three things. Number one, When God speaks or he sends someone to speak on his behalf, it means, number one, that absolute divine authority has spoken. Number two, it means that what is spoken is absolutely true and trustworthy. And thirdly, but definitely not last, it also means that what has been spoken demands a response. Ultimately, what it means is this, to believe or disbelieve. God's word is to ultimately believe or disbelieve God himself. You don't believe me? Well, let's go back a chapter to Luke chapter 1 with our friend Zacharias. You know Zacharias. Zacharias was a priest. And he was a priest that went into the temple in Luke chapter 1. And these words are recorded of him meeting this angel Gabriel. Gabriel then tells him that he will have a son. He says, how can I know this? Gabriel asks the angel, for I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and who was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. 
Notice me, with me that when told he would have a son, Zacharias doubted the angel's word. And from his limited perspective, from his human perspective, honestly, his doubts were understandable. He was too old to have a child. He probably had given up. His wife was barren. He had all the excuses in the world. But with God, anything is possible. Amen. It's a good reminder for us as a church this morning is that don't limit God. Do you hear me, church? Don't limit God. If we want our prayers to be answered, we must be open to what God can do in impossible situations. Because our God loves to take impossible situations and create a possibility. I'm sharing this word not because I just like to hear myself talk. I'm sharing this word because someone in this place under the sound of my voice right now, you need to be encouraged because you are facing an impossible situation. You are facing situations that are daunting and overwhelming. And I want to remind you this morning that our God loves, delights, enjoys taking impossible situations and creating a possibility for his people. I know this is hard to believe, but we have to consider it this way. Where in your life are you tempted? Right now, today, where are you right now in your life tempted to dishonor God's word? Where in your life are you tempted today to disbelieve God's word? Where are you today right now, today, where are you tempted to disobey God's word? Listen, all of us, including myself, are tempted in these ways. But if you are tempted to disbelieve, if you are tempted to dishonor or to disobey God's word, listen to the hope that's found in verses 28 through 30. Because remember, our God loves to take impossible situations and create a possibility. Look at the second impossibility that's found in verses 28 through 30. And the angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favorite woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, again, remember the context of which this angel is speaking. There has been 400 years of silence, 400 years of suffering, and 400 years of solitude. And out of the silence and out of the suffering and out of the solitude, God now will not only speak, but God now will display his wondrous grace in the most unlikely way. Mary will have a son. And not only that, but Mary is now favored by God. Why is this an unusual situation, you're asking? I love how the Life Application Study Bible puts it. It says this. It says that Mary was young, poor, and female. All the characteristics that to the people of that day would make her seem unusable by God for any major task. But God chose Mary for one of the most important acts of obedience um, he had ever demanded of anyone. 
You may feel that your ability, experience, or education makes you an unlikely candidate for God's service, but again, don't limit God's choices. He can use you if you trust him. Love how Psalm 28 verse 7 puts it. It says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices and with my song, I will praise him. Listen to the wisdom of Psalm 84, 11. It puts it this way. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. He withholds no good thing from those who walk with integrity. Look at verse 26 again with me to see, oh, excuse me, go back to verse 26 to remind us of the location of this unlikely miracle. In verse 26, remember the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee, a a town in Galilee called Nazareth. Now, Nazareth was essentially a ghetto. Nazareth was an obscure, unimportant town 70 miles north of Jerusalem. Nazareth was a place of lowly reputation, and his reputation was so low, it wasn't even mentioned. The town of Nazareth wasn't even mentioned in the Old Testament writings. Nazareth had such a bad reputation. Then in John chapter 1, when Philip had found the Messiah, he had found the, Jesus himself, and he went to share this great news with his bro, Nathaniel. And he went to Nathaniel and said, hey, I found Jesus, the, the son of God. Do you remember Nathaniel's response to Philip? He simply says this. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I love Nathaniel's answer to him. He said, <laughs> I mean, excuse me, I love Philip's response to Nathaniel's question. He says, come and see. <laughs> come and see if anything can good be good come out of Nazareth. In verse 28, we see the identity of the message sent by God. We see what God has spoken into the silence. What does he speak into the silence? What does he speak into the suffering? What does he speak into the solitude? Look at verse 28 with me to, to find the answer. He says, rejoice, favored woman, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. This reminds me of echoes of Psalm 23, specifically verse 4, where David says, Um, That though I go through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And at that point, we have to ask ourselves, why, David? Why won't you fear evil? And he gives us the most poignant answer. He says, for God is with me. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is with you? He's with you in those times of disarray and disorder. He's with you in those times of confusion and pain and suffering and loss. He's with you when your kids are acting up and you're trying to get to church on time. He's with you in the arguments that you have with your spouse or your significant other. God is with you. It's a powerful reminder this morning for us as children of the Most High God. And that's the simple answer that he gives. He says, you are favored because God is with you. Look with me how Mary will be favored. 
Mary will give birth to a son. Now, you have to know this about Mary. Mary is around probably 12 to 15 years old. So honestly, this kind of hits home because she's around my daughter's age <laughs> right now. And listen, if, if she, my daughter came and told me, yeah, an angel told me I'm going to have a baby, your pastor might, might pass out because I, I wouldn't believe it. But look at verse 29 to see Mary's response. It says she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. I think, I'm thankful that the Bible doesn't dilute human emotion. I'm thankful that the Bible is honest and real about impossible things. God speaking into impossible situations. Listen, it's not easy to believe it all the time. It's not easy just to believe that God will save you or that God will keep you or God is with you. I love how the Bible is honest about the emotions and the realities of our human experience upon this earth. Mary heard the word that was spoken to her, but she still was troubled by it. She still was troubled about it. But notice she was troubled, but yet still in the presence of God. She didn't run from God. She didn't run to her best friend. She said, God, I don't understand, but I'm going to stay here long enough so that you can explain it to me. I'm going to stay in your presence, God, until you give me the answer. I'm going to be like that woman who reached out and touched Jesus, the hem of his garment to be healed. Even though there were many people around, even though no one understands what I'm doing, I'm going to be faithful to you, God, and I'm going to reach out to you even when I don't understand or even when I can't comprehend or even, God, when I don't agree with what you're doing. Reminds me of Job chapter 13, verse 5, where Job says, though he slays me, yet will I trust him. God is looking for some though he will slay me people some people that are willing to endure hardship and pain, not because God wants you and desires you to go through hardship and pain, but so that God can show you that I am the God of possibilities when the, everything seems impossible against you, I can show up and I will be with you, I will be for you, and I will rescue and deliver you with the power of my word and with the power of my presence. That's the type of God you serve. That's the type of God we lift our hands to and we worship. Listen, if you don't believe in this type of God, if you have a God that's overwhelmed with your problems and your situations, you are worshiping a false God. If your God cannot handle the impossible things that you bring to him, he is not worthy of your worship. He is not worthy of your praise. It's not worthy of your submission. But time and time again, the Bible reminds us of the character of our God. We say it all the time. Don't allow our circumstances to define God's character. You see here four reasons why Mary was distressed. Listen, the first thing was Mary was from a ghetto. She was from Nazareth. She was from the wrong side of the tracks, y'all. She didn't have a lot of money. She didn't have a lot of power. She didn't have a lot of prestige. She was from lowly, unseen, unknown, obscure Nazareth. Number two, she was young. She was a young woman. 
Number three, she was not married. <laughs> and number four, here's the impossibility. She was a virgin. You know, uh, this week has been a hard week for my wife and I, specifically because of the, I don't know if you heard about the Oxford shooting that happened up in Michigan. Oxford High School is actually where my, my wife attended and graduated from, so um, none of her family members were hurt and injured, but, you know, people that she went to school with, high school with, were involved in it, and we've been mourning a lot this week, um, one, for the shooting, but two, because it just happened in my wife's, at her high school where she, she went. One of the conversations we start talking about as we were talking about life and just different things is this aspect of how would you want your story to be written? Because now at this time, right, people are coming out about different scenarios that could have happened, you know, young men or young women, you know, braving their lives. And I'm sure some of them did. I don't know what happened in that situation. But regardless of what happened in that situation, we were just saying, hey, man, how would you want your story to be written? You know, when, you, when it's all said and done. And obviously, you know, I was thinking about that. <laughs> How would I want my story to be written? That's a, kind of a difficult question. But listen to me. If I had a chance to write my story, my story wouldn't look like Jesus' story. I wouldn't choose an obscure, unknown place to talk about <laughs> where I grew up. I wouldn't choose the reality that my, wife, my, my mother was um, unmarried. <laughs> a virgin, and supposedly impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Like, if I had the opportunity to write my story, it it wouldn't look like that. It wouldn't sound like that, because that just seems so, seems, honestly, seems far-fetched. It seems like it's it's out there. But two, it doesn't seem like it would appeal to a lot of people. I want the glitz and the glamour, you know? I I I I want to be... Remembered for the glitz and the glamour, but notice how God describes the story of his son coming to the earth. <laughs> it's not the way that I, in my pride, would want to tell my story or share my story. That's how we know it's true. The author of the universe, the creator of all things, takes the time to choose the most lowly, the most obscure, the most obstinate places and things to glorify himself. That should give you hope. It should give you hope that God doesn't always use or or has to use the best things to get his point across. He uses the broken things, the misused things, the ostracized things, the neglected things to bring his name, ultimate glory, honor, and praise. Only a strong person could do that. Only one who truly is God can do that. I hear someone asking, so Pastor Fields, what does it matter that Jesus was born of a virgin? (laughs) Why does it matter? Well, the truthfulness of this statement upholds every other doctrine of the Christian faith. Every other doctrine is upheld by This aspect of Jesus being born of a virgin. Listen to what Tertullian says about this in AD 207. He says, whoever wishes to see Jesus, the son of God, must believe in him through the virgin's birth. 
He who will not believe this will not hear from him the commendation, your faith has saved you. Put it another way, if Jesus was not born of a virgin, if Jesus was not truly born of a virgin, then he could not be the son of God. If Jesus was not born of a virgin, then he could not be sinless. And if Jesus was not born of a virgin, then he could not be our substitute for the forgiveness of sin. But (laughs) y'all, if Jesus really was born of a virgin, if Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, then that means that he is the son of God. Because Jesus has been born of the Virgin Mary, that means that he is born sinless. And it also means that he's qualified to be our substitute. I love this because the nature of Christ's conception testifies of his incarnation. It testifies both of his deity as well as his sinlessness as a man. His deity as God and his sinlessness as a man. Love how the Christian Standard Bible puts it this way. It says, Jesus was born without sin that entered the world through Adam. He was born holy just as Adam was born sinless. In contrast to Adam who disobeyed God, Jesus obeyed God and was thus able to face sin's consequences in our place and make us acceptable to God. Hebrews 4 puts it this way. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness but one who has been tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. Remember, church, that our God God loves to take impossible situations and create possibilities out of them. Look with me at verse 30. It says, Then the angel told her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You have found favor with God. Now, hold up. Hold up now. <laughs> You're going to take this young woman who doesn't, is not yet married. She's engaged, but she's not yet married. You're going to impregnate her, and you call that favor? <laughs> Listen, this is a good reminder for us that God's favor doesn't automatically bring inst- instant success or fame. That God's favor doesn't automatically bring instant success or fame. Remember the pain and glory of Mary's story? As an unmarried pregnant woman, Mary would have been ridiculed by all, family and friends included. Her fiance Joseph would become close to leaving her and abandoning her. Her son would be ostracized by some and rejected by many. Her son would be falsely accused by the Jews and deemed a criminal by the Roman Empire. Her beloved son would be murdered by those who claim to love and adore him. Yet, (laughs) on that glorious Sunday morning, God graciously vindicated all the hurt. He graciously vindicated all of the pain, and he graciously vindicated all of the sorrow that had accumulated within Mary's heart through Jesus' glorious resurrection. Listen to me, out of everybody that was happy to see Jesus get up. I can't imagine anyone more happier than Mary because all of the pain, all of the accusations, all of the turmoil, all of the rumors that were going around her were finally vindicated through, through the bloody cross and through the empty tomb. 
And Mary could finally see that her sorrow was not for nothing. It's a good reminder for you that when God's hand is upon you, that when God's hand is upon you, suffering and pain won't have the last word. Listen to me. When God's hand is upon you, when his favor is upon you, pain and suffering won't have the last word in your life. God will vindicate because God vindicated ultimately through his son, Jesus. Love how Psalm 30 puts it. It says, weeping may endure for a night, but oh, joy, (laughs) joy, sweet, beautiful joy comes in the morning. It comes in the morning. That is not a guarantee that in the morning God will make all things right, but it's a guarantee that just as the morning rises and sets, it's faithful to come up every single day that God is faithful to bring joy to you at the appointed season and at the appointed time. You can trust God through your pain and through your sorrow. Look at verses 31 through 33 with me. Discover the third possibility here of the birth of Jesus. It says, now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You will call his name Jesus. He will be great and you'll be called the son of the most high God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Notice with me that the baby will be born as king. Now, let's consider this. When did Jesus become a king? He didn't become a king when he was born. He was actually a king before he was even born. Who elected him to be king? No one. He was appointed by God himself. Why is he not referred as being a prince instead of a king? It's because Jesus is God. How can a baby be king? Well, kingship is not based on form but it's based upon one's essence. And we see not only that Jesus will be king, but verse 32, look at this. He will be great. He will be great. So we have to ask ourselves, what makes Jesus better than any other God? What makes Jesus so special that God himself will say that he will be great? Let's Let's go down the list a little bit. Number one, Jesus became incarnate, meaning that he became human. Number two, Jesus is fully God, and he fully and equally shares God's divine nature. No one in human history can say or compare to these things. Jesus exists co-equally with his Father, yet he submits to his Father's will. Jesus is one person, the Son, who subsists in two natures and thus is fully God and fully man. Jesus never sinned as a human. Jesus was born through the Virgin Mary. Jesus experienced the wonders and weakness of being human, yet without sin. Jesus is the last Adam, and most importantly and most of all, Jesus is Lord. Amen. Love this because it reminds us of what we're trying to encourage you with this morning. This theme that we're trying to encourage you with is that our God loves to take impossible situations and create a possibility. For my theologians out there, I I just have one question for you, and hopefully maybe you saw this already. So what I'm sharing with you is not new knowledge, and that's okay if it's not. 
But did you notice the subtle reference to the threefold office of Christ? The threefold office of Christ is that he is both, he is prophet, priest, and he's king. And in these verses, we get subtle hints of Jesus fulfilling all three. No one has ever came and was able to fulfill all three of these roles at the same time. We have great prophets, we've had great priests, and we've had great kings, but there's never been one person to encompassate and to embody all three of these roles, all three of these offices within one person, except Jesus. Notice with me in verse 32, we see the first way. It says, first, he will be called the son of the most high God or the son of the most high. Since the son bears his father's qualities, calling a person, uh, someone's son was a way of signifying equality. In other words, Mary's son will be equivalent to the most high. Hebrews 1 puts it this way. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature. And he sustains all things through his powerful word. That speaks to Jesus being our prophet. Look at verse 31. That his, it says that he, his name will be Jesus. This speaks to him being our priest. You know, Jesus is the Greek name for the Hebrew. Jesus is the Greek name for the Hebrew name Jacob or Yeshua, which means the Lord is our salvation or the Lord saves. In other words, Jesus' name reflects his mission. He will be the one who offers himself as a means, source, and guarantor of our salvation. And just as Joshua had led Israel into the promised land, Jesus will be faithful to lead his people into eternal life. So we see how he's a prophet. We see he's how he's our priest. Lastly, in verses 32 and 33, we see how he's our king. It says, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Notice with me here that Christ was born a king. He was not born a prince. In other words, when you see Jesus, you see God himself. Jesus and God are co-equals. And we see this through the threefold office of Christ. As our prophet, Jesus reveals God to us and speaks God's word to us. As our priest, he offers himself as a sacrifice to God. And as our king, he maintains sovereign control over all of the universe. Why does this matter? Why am I sharing these things with you? Why am I bringing these things up? Well, because our God loves to take impossible situations and create possibility. Look with me in verses 34 through 35. Here's the fourth possibility of the birth of Jesus. Mary asks the angel, how can this be since I've not been intimate with the man? The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born within you will be called the Son of God. See the Trinitarian, I hope you notice the Trinitarian theme within this narrative. God finds favor on Mary, verse 30. Christ is going to be born through Mary, verses 31 through 33. And then in verse 35, we see that the Holy Spirit will be the one who impregnates Mary. It's a beautiful picture of our triune God work, even through the birth and of Jesus in the beginning. 
Lastly, let's look at verses 36 and 37 for the fifth, fifth impossibility of the birth of Christ. It says this, And consider your relative Elizabeth, even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. It's a beautiful, out of all the impossibilities, I love this one the most. Listen to what the Life Application Study Bible says about this. It says, Zacharias and Elizabeth were both faithful people, and yet they were suffering. Some Jews at the time did not believe in a bodily resurrection, so their hope of immortality was in their children. In addition, children cared for their parents in their old age and added to the family's financial security and social status. Children were considered a blessing, and childlessness was seen as a curse. Zacharias and Elizabeth had been childless for many years, and at this time, they were too old to expect any change in their situation. They felt humiliated and hopeless, but God was waiting for the right time to encourage them and take away their disgrace. Notice with me here that Elizabeth was already six months pregnant. We said this in Genesis 1 when we talked about um, when Adam, when God showed his need to Adam of having a partner, God didn't simply say, hey, Adam, it would be really cool if you had someone who was equal to you, who was like you. He didn't do that. What he did was he took Adam and he brought him before all the animals. Remember that story? Church on the lawn, we're talking about that. He brought him before all the animals and he allowed them to name each animal. And what he discovered through that process was every animal had a partner except for him. He realized at that moment that, man, I'm missing something. I need something. I need someone to be my partner, to be my equal in this world. We said in Genesis 1 in that sermon that God never reacts to any problems that we have, but God is always proactive. That a lot of times when we want God to respond to issues or concerns, what God sometimes does, not all the time, but what sometimes God, what God does is he allows us to experience our need for something before he provides it. And here this is exactly what he's doing with Mary. He's saying, listen, I know what you're experiencing sounds crazy, but the one who was called barren now is six months pregnant. And that's happened by the very presence and by the very power of God. And if I can take barren Elizabeth and give her a baby, I can do the same thing for you, Mary. This is why our testimonies are important. This is why it's important to share in the body of Christ of the things that God is doing within your life, because it may not seem important to you. It may not seem like it's the most glorious thing, but for someone who's going through a hard season, for someone who's going through an impossible situation, for someone who is in a place of discouragement, it can mean life and breath for them in that moment. Don't withhold your testimonies from One another, share the goodness of God to one another. And community groups, don't just talk about what's happening in the news. First of all, show up to community group. Be a part of community groups. Be a part of what we're doing in this church because you never know the blessings that God might have for you even by just showing up and being present within that place. Said it before, we'll say it again. God loves to take impossible situations and create a possibility. So why is this important to remember? Why is this important to remember? Look with me in verse 37. I love this because this is the thesis of everything we've been talking about. For nothing will be impossible with God. 
for, for nothing will be impossible with God. Man, that's a mouthful in itself. I love how Mary responds to this iconic declaration, this true declaration. Look with me in verse 38. She says this. She says, I am the Lord's slave. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. Notice Mary's response to the possibility that God has placed before her. Excuse me. Notice notice Mary's response to the impossibility that God has placed before her. She says, listen, I'm the Lord's slave. I'm the Lord's doulos. I'm his servant. May what, what you have said be done according to your word. I love this because Mary says two things. She says, one, I'm the Lord's slave. I'm the, Lord, I'm the Lord's servant, right? I, I respond to him and him alone. He is my king. But then she also says, may it be done to me according to your word. She sought to be compliant to God's will and to remain humble despite not fully knowing or understanding God's ways. God oftentimes leads us like a car on the highway. He shows us enough to keep on going. A lot of us, what we want to do is we want, to, we want God to show us everything. We want to show God, show me everything. Show me what's going to happen in the next 10, 20, 40 years of my life. Show me everything, God. And God is a wise enough and good enough God to say, you know what? You can't handle everything. But I can show you enough to keep you faithful and to remind you of my faithfulness to continue to keep your eyes on me. The, the, the objective of cars and headlights is not to show you the entire road. It's, to, it's, it's objective is to show you enough to keep you going in the right direction. And much like cars with a headlight, God also leads and guides us in the same way. He shows you enough. He shows you enough to know that you're on the right track and you're following him and you're submitting to him and you're loving him and you're being faithful to him in the right place. He shows us enough to remind us of his goodness and his character. He shows us enough because that's all we can take. Now, we have two choices to respond to the impossibilities that God places before us. We can respond in faith like Mary did, or we can respond in fear like Zechariah in Luke 1.18. So let me ask you this, this, this uh, morning, what impossible situations are you facing today? What impossible situations are you facing today? The story of Jesus' birth is about God making a possibility out of an impossible situation. And he did this by a couple of ways. Number one, he, he sent a person named Gabriel. He granted a promise to Mary, the Virgin Mary, that she would have a child without knowing a man. He made a provision through his son, Jesus. He sent the paraclete, also known as the Holy Spirit. He also gave Mary a partner named Elizabeth. One of the things that bring my heart joy is that God didn't send Mary into this impossible situation alone. He prepared someone before her, an older 
wiser woman named Elizabeth who could walk with her, who could care for her, who could love her, who could console her, and also who could sympathize with her because both of them should not be pregnant (laughs) except by the hand of God. Can you imagine the conversations that Elizabeth and Mary would have? Can you imagine the joy? Can you imagine the awe and the wonder? Can you imagine the the Holy Ghost praise parties that just sporadically happen? A a woman who was barren, who physiologically should not have children, and a young woman who never knew a man, both are pregnant by the same God to give him glory and honor, honor and praise. Church family, remember our God loves to take impossible situations and create a possibility. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you that you love to take impossible, hard things and give us possibilities, God. We thank you, God, that there's nothing too hard for you, that there's nothing impossible for you. Father, where we have denied that or where we have forgotten that, God, would you restore um, our hope? Would you restore our faith? Would you restore, God, your presence among us. Thank you, God, for this word. I pray that it will be a balm to so many weary souls. Pray that it will be encouragement to those who are, have been faithful, but yet have not seen the fruit that they desire. And I pray most of all that this word would bring salvation. It will remind us of the uniqueness of Jesus He's not just a great teacher or a great prophet. He is the sinless son of God who's been crucified and given for the forgiveness of the sins of the entire world. And in him, may we find refuge and strength. Him and him alone be all glory, all power, and all majesty. In Jesus' name, amen. Every Sunday, we have the gracious opportunity to celebrate God taking an impossible situation and creating a possibility by taking this meal called communion. So as we eat of this bread and wine, it's not just of us eating wafers and grape juice. This communion reminds us that our God loves us, cares for us, and he's able to take impossible situations and create possibilities. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it and gave it to the disciples. He said, take, eat, this is broken for you. Let us take of that bread together in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then took a cup and giving thanks. He said, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. May we drink of that cup together in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Amen. Amen. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit SojournChurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.